This. This. Is. Is. An inconvenient belief. special week this is the season finale of an inconvenient bluth and unfortunately my microphone is broken actually that's not true my microphone's connector adapter is broken so i'm using the computer mic and we apologize to our listeners in advance look it's apple's fault zach you have nothing to apologize for it's also eli's fault it is eli's fault which one though eli penny or eli manning Secondary Eli. Oh, okay. I like the tertiary Eli reference, though. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I almost forgot what Eli Apple's last name was. It's been a long season. It has. It has. Eli Apple could be headed to the Super Bowl, though. I know. Eli Apple is now good at football. Yes, he's very good. Actually, I did see, not to totally contradict you just said, because that is totally true. He is. But I did watch... During last week's game, I think the Saints had, there was a play where Eli Apple like missed a coverage and they showed it on the air. <laughs> and I was kind of pumped up about it. A little deja vu for you? Yeah. Like, I was like, that used to be my anger, and now it's somebody else's anger. <laughs> that used to be my anger. The Saints fans, in fairness, have much less to be angry about, generally. Mm-hmm. As usual. All right. So should we hit it off? Should we get rolling on the on the Giants loss to the, to the Colts? Loss is. We've got two games to do, Zach. Yes. It is a, a, another double episode. Another double episode. <laughs> An unprecedented double episode. Uh, it, is, it is, at this point, moderately precedented. Moderately precedented double episode. Mm-hmm. I love that. So are we covering the Colts first or the Cowboys first? Why don't we do Colts first? We'll just work toward the present day. Okay. Got it. On that um, note, though, Zach, I, I have very few feelings about this game. I don't know what your, your passion level is, but now that the season is over, that the Giants, thank the good Lord above, lost both of these games, locked in a, a slightly better pick than they would have otherwise. And... Helps the Colts make the playoffs. I only care because of Andrew Luck. You know what, that, you know what that's called, though, Willis? What? A convenient bluth. <laughs> it, it is. It's a very convenient bluth. Several factors conspire to make it a particularly convenient bluth. As the ones may or may not know, I think the ones know because I I may personally know all of the ones or at least many of them. I will love Andrew Luck until the day he dies and probably afterward, depending upon who (laughs) dies first to me or him. Um, He's fantastic. He is the most earnestly quaint quarterback in the league by a country mile. He's extremely talented he got the absolute bejesus kicked out of him because his line has been garbage his entire career, but he got back up Zach 
He had a great 2018. His team is back in the playoffs. As we've talked about before, Andrew Luck is the living embodiment of value to an organization because the quality of the Colts sways so dramatically between when he doesn't play and when he does. And he's one of my favorite players in the league. He has a book club. I love that. Anyway, this is not an ode to Andrew Luck, but it is to say I can't get that worked up about two weeks ago, the Giants losing to the Colts. But taken in combination with the loss to the Cowboys, the Giants lost to two now playoff teams by a total of two points. That's the interesting part to me. I don't really know what it tells us, but I guess if you're going to lose, this is the kind of most inspiring hope installing way to do it, I guess, at the end of the year. I don't know. Zach, do you have thoughts on this game? I do. I agree with everything you just said, but I also want to note in response to the very last thing you just said, I do like the fact, yes, they're like being competitive now with two playoff teams. Like that's, that's great to see that. What bothers me a little is that in my heart of hearts, I don't believe the Giants tried in any way to lose either one of these games. <laughs> oh, I agree. Yeah. Other than not playing Odell Beckham, which, which to be fair, that that's worth more than one point in my opinion. Like he probably puts up a few more points in the more than, and maybe they even win the game if he plays. But I, even without him, it seemed to me like the Giants were playing their absolute best football, and these. These two losses were if these were if these losses were in weeks four and five, you would call these two losses heartbreaking losses. So if this is the kind of performance we expect to see next year by two, dare I say it, very mediocre playoff teams. <laughs> <laughs> like these are not the Patriots and the Chiefs and the Rams. These are the Cowboys won the worst division in football, and the Colts barely snuck in by beating the worst maybe not the worst, but like the third worst team in football, the Giants. It's not all that inspiring. You know what I mean? Like they, they should be, if they want to be competitive next year, they should be easily handling these losses. Like I'm not saying they need to necessarily blow these teams out, but they shouldn't be scraping by, by losing by one point. Like they should be, you know, they, both of these games came down to the final drive. The defense totally looked flat when the Colts and the Cowboys respectively took the fields for their last drive. Totally flat. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm not overly inspired. Now, if, if, if you were to tell me, and you being Pat Shermer, were to tell me <laughs> we, in, you know, we pulled our line, we, you know, we didn't really think that winning this game was in the team's long-term best interest, I'd, I'd say okay, but that didn't seem like the case. Eli seemed motivated to get the ball down the field, which he did. Uh, the receivers were all playing. Saquon was playing. The defense was playing. There were no backups in outside of Odell Beckham's replacement, which wasn't really much of a replacement. They kind of just bumped everybody up. So Shep was the primary. Uh, I'm blanking on who else was kind of moved up and changed positions. But Other Shep. Yeah, other Shep. Um, secondary Shep, if you will. Secondary Shep. Not too much change. I'm, I'm kind of rambling now, so I'll stop talking as much. But point is, I don't think these are very, these are not very satisfying losses to me. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm not making no claim for um, satisfaction from these 
I mean, I was going to say from these boring games, I don't know if they can really be called boring. Uh, insignificant for sure. Yeah, no, they were pretty good games, all things yeah. considered. Like, came down to the wire, um, a lot of big plays, a lot of big touchdowns, high scoring. The um, If you just kind of look, and this is obviously a crude way to look at a game, but the aggregate stats from the Colts game is just shockingly similar across the board for both teams. So, uh, again, I'm not claiming that this tells the entire story of a game, but the final score is 28-27, to 27, and then... Total yards, Indy 402, Giants 392. 10 yards different than nothing. Passing yards, 353 for Indy, 309 for the Giants. Rushing yards, this is the only place that there's really any discrepancy, 83 for the Giants, 49 for the Colts. The average yards per play was exactly the same to two significant digits, 6.3 for both teams. Um... Third down efficiency, extremely similar within five percentage points. Time of possession was nearly split down the middle. They both committed six penalties. All of the top-level team stats are identical or within 5%. So interesting there. Andrew Luck had a pretty solid game. Eli, uh, we'll talk more about Eli going forward, but he's had a kind of interesting season an interesting end to the season for sure this was one of Saquon's worst games of the year um still not exactly an embarrassment but he wasn't particularly effective 21 carries for 43 yards um did score a touchdown but you know not an efficient game from him um Sterling Shepard on the other hand had an absolutely stellar game I like when he has an opportunity to shine because he's playing behind as we know one of the best wide receivers but one of the best players in football and uh, gets overshadowed, rightfully so. But Sterling Shepard is is also a fantastic player. Six catches for 113 yards for him. And Evan Ingram has been coming on a little bit lately. He's had what I would call a disappointing season. But against the Colts, week 16, six catches, 87 yards, caught every ball where he was targeted. Other than that, I don't know. Not a whole lot else to say. Aldrick Rosas continued to be excellent. We'll talk more about him in a bit, too. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously we're talking about things from the Giants' perspective. I'd be more worried if I were the Colts that it was this close in the first place, I, as as you you mentioned. Yep. Yeah. I I didn't. I don't really have much to add other than what I already said. I mean, yeah. Stats speak for themselves. Not terrible. More of just the execution of the of the loss. <laughs> uh, was more what I had to talk <laughs> about. Um. So yeah. Not 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 much else to add to what you said. Perfect. All right, Zach. On to the Cowboys. On to week 17? Yes, let's talk yeah. about the week 17. So, quick recap, and then we'll dive into the more idiosyncratic stuff that we want to talk about. Again, the Giants lose by one, this time 36-35, and this time in Corporate Insurance Stadium. Cowboys were actually trailing late. The Giants pulled ahead. It looked like they were in pretty good position to win the game, disappointingly for those of us who want good things for the long-term health of the franchise, but um, a pretty spectacular drive to end it. Gets a touchdown for Dallas. They score the touchdown on a Cole Beasley catch that was Odell-esque, although Odell probably would have made it look even better, but he's initially ruled incomplete, or the pass is initially ruled incomplete. They review it. They say he's got the knee down, 
It's a touchdown. Now Dallas is down by one, 35-34 New York. Uh, it's about a minute left in the game, and Dak Prescott throws another pass to Gallup. That's complete. They pull ahead by one, and the Giants were unable to do anything on the following drive. So let's just start with this. Thank you to the spirits, the governing benign bodies of the world, benevolent, really, who made it the case that the Giants pooped this game away in the final minutes because that bumped up their draft pick. Um, I'd have to look exactly, but by a few spots at least. Game was more or less insignificant for Dallas. They kept Prescott in considerably longer than most people were expecting given the circumstances. And Zach, can you explain to us why exactly they overturned the Cole Beasley catch? Because I understand that, I, I mean, I think I understand the rules with some level of precision. It still blows my mind that there are so many contingencies on what constitutes a catch, and it depends whether it's in the end zone, and if he's falling out of bounds, and there are particular body party, particular body parts that count and particular that don't, and then some count as two body parts, but some count as one. Uh, could you walk us through that, Zach? I wish I could. I... Uh... <laughs> As I think the way you just put it shows how confusing it is. So I watched this play live and it seemed like, you know, if, if lawyers were going to be arguing this case, <laughs> the, the, the the key fact in this case, the whole the, – the OJ's glove, if you will, was the fact that one of Cole Beasley's knees came down in the end zone. Right. I don't – I mean, look, I'm not an expert on NFL catch rules, and I don't think actually that nobody is, but I could have sworn that you need at least two <laughs> feet in bounds. Like that's, I thought the rule was two feet. Then I started listening to the announcers a little, and I'm like, okay, right, maybe it's like one knee and one elbow. But I'm pretty sure Cole Beasley's one knee, and that's it, landed in bounds, and the rest of his entire body was out. Look, I mean, it was heavily reviewed, heavily scrutinized by all the referees. Prayer, I'm sure, has looked at this, and like no one's come back after the fact saying it wasn't a catch. So I'm sure it was a catch by the league rules, but it's just it's just getting a little out of hand that like no one can clearly define a catch in in the National Football League, a league that's been around for almost a hundred years. Like, what do you have any thoughts on this whole catch situation? I'd love to hear what you go on a not a rant, but like some kind of a discussion on the NFL catch situation. <laughs> I mean, here's here's what I don't understand. And this is one of those topics where I'm almost hesitant to talk about it on the podcast because I'm afraid that some Phantom One is going to listen to it and think I'm an idiot who doesn't watch enough football and shouldn't be talking about it on the quote-unquote air. But so his knee is clearly down. That's what the replay shows. I don't think there's there's like a reasonable case against his knee being down in bounds. Agreed. And he does clearly retain possession of the ball through the catch. He doesn't bobble it. Agreed. I'm not contesting either of those things. What I don't understand is that from, I believe, my entire life, from when we were playing, you know, flag football in the back, not even, you know, proto-tackle football in the backyard with no pads, the rule was always, again, I could be remembering incorrectly, but it's codified in my head as such. One foot or random body part in college has to be in bounds. 
and in the NFL, it's two. That's so what I thought, too. Yeah. That, looking into this, that remains true. However, a knee counts as two feet. Yeah, I don't get how a knee counts as two feet. I know. Yeah, I don't get that one. Why does the knee count as two feet? <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that there was a special allowance for knees and that it got like a forced multiplier. Is there some rubric or, or (laughs) like thing that the referees wear on their arm, like a quarterback wristband that tells them what various body parts count vis-a-vis number of body parts vis-a-vis the sideline? It's just bizarre. Yeah, I don't really get it. I, I I here's the I understand the rule with like because I think there used to be a rule when I was younger like we're t- I'm talking like mid two thousands era and maybe this even I, again this is one of those things we, like you just said I don't want to talk about this on the podcast because people really have a little I know about rules but I thought there was like a force out rule where like you were allowed to have one foot down in the NFL if you were being forced out and that I can kind of get behind because I see like it's like well you would have come down in bounds if a player hadn't forced you out. But Cole Beasley was by himself. So then it goes back to what you were saying of, okay, well, one of his knees, I guess, equals two feet, which I don't, that doesn't seem like it makes logical sense to me. I, yeah, I'm trying to read all the analysis I can here, and it's a little confusing. Well, not even a little, it's extremely. It sounds like, now we should get our, our resident rules expert who doesn't exist in to consult on this question. From what <laughs> I can read here, the two feet applies as a standard if the only contact between you and the ground comes through your feet. Also, I, I understand how insane I sound right now, but I, I think this is roughly what's happening. However, if other body parts are the mechanism by which you connect with the ground. Okay, it's like an elbow, a knee, whatever, right? <laughs> an elbow, a knee, I don't know, your left your butt head. cheek, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> your head. Um, Sexual organs. Yeah, if you land on your... I'm going to cut that out. That's crude. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> it's my own fault. It's my own fault. Yours was fine. Mine was over the line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I use the scientific term. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were just being a doctor. Yes. <laughs> if, <laughs> I think the NFL rules use that same terminology, actually. Yeah. By NFL rules, you are an accredited medical professional. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that, sorry to interrupt. So that, and by that, I mean anything other than your feet, essentially counts as two feet. <laughs> so what you're trying to say here is you should catch the ball with your sexual organs. <laughs> You, you, I mean, you should definitely catch the ball with your hands still, but you just got to make sure if you're trying to be economical with it, just make sure that something other than your feet hits the ground (laughs) in bounds because you only need one of whatever that thing is and you're good. Is that because like hands, like can you like cartwheel out of the, out of the, like, (laughs) that's a good question. Well, no, no, I don't think hand counts because you can use your hands to keep yourself off the ground. That's fair. You, That's fair. You know, like if you're getting yep. tackled, you put your hand down, you're not down. That's very fair. But let's be real. I don't think anyone actually knows. No, they don't. 
All right. Just to, and also to be clear, I'm extremely glad it was ruled a touchdown because otherwise the Giants would be picking what five spots later or something. Yeah, yeah. It was a very convenient Bluth. It was a very convenient Bluth. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's someone who's already done the work to tell us where the Giants would be had that not been a touchdown. I was actually looking for that earlier this week and was unsuccessful, but you are much better at research than I am. Yeah, I'm just Googling around. This isn't exactly a mastermind operation. I'm reading an article from a 49ers blog, but it's not really helping out here. Anyway, brief side note. We're going to talk more about the draft in days to come, but because it appears in this article... Josh Allen is a college player who is going to be drafted quite high in this draft. That is very confusing to me because Josh Allen is also a quarterback who was drafted very high in last year's draft. Are you sure you're not reading an article from last year? I am 100% sure because I thought of the same thing. Mm. I mean, it is a common name. Josh not Allen? As com- not as common as Josh Rosen, but it's a common name. <laughs> Uh, that's true. Josh Rosen may be the most common name alive. Alive, that's not a thing. Names can be alive. Na- that's that's a good point. Names can be alive. Um, yeah, so so the Josh Allen I'm talking about now is an edge rusher from Kentucky, just for the record. Okay. Um, what else do we want to talk about here? This, Well, I'll say this because let's talk about some positivity here. Saquon Barkley is an extremely fun football player, and I'm not trying to make any analytical point. I'm not trying to tell anyone anything they don't know if they listen to this show or watch the Giants at all. But Saquon Barkley is so damn fun to watch play football. He plays like an old-school running back, but with kind of the added capacities of a modern running back, by which I basically mean he's effective in the passing game, he can run all sorts of different runs, basically. He can run between the tackles. He can pop it out. And what I think is most fun about him, other than his just blinding speed, especially when he gets a, a little steam going, is he can get hit by eight guys simultaneously, disappear, look like he's down and it just hasn't been whistled yet, and just pop out, do some weird like half-balance spin, and then just run to the end zone 60 yards down. It's amazing. I love this guy. I still think it's insane that Gettleman thought that he was worth more than a potentially excellent quarterback, but I'm glad he's on the team. Uh, Here's a terrible prompt for you. Thoughts on that, Zach? I had a terrible prompt for me. Uh, It's just lazy. Thoughts? Well... Yeah, I mean, we talk about it, I think, every week. I, I think Saquon Barkley is one of the best running backs in the last 10 years. My favorite thing about him, and this is going to be a very specific thing, but the Giants have really never gotten away from this run-up-the-middle play, which they seem to love incessantly. <laughs> it's a difficult play to run, right? That's where the most action is on the field on every play is the two lines clashing together. Saquon hits those lines with such an incredible force. He does. That you don't really see. Most running backs, they get the ball from the quarterback. Their first instinct is not run. It's 
look for a hole, and then find that hole and kind of juke your way through it. Mm-hmm. Saquon just – he touches that ball and like the acceleration of which he goes from the second touch of the ball through the first line or the, the line of scrimmage is is just – he's running as hardest as he possibly can and he's able to break through it a good amount of the time, which is why we see every week him busting off a 30, 40-yard run because eventually he's going to get through. And you just don't see that probably because of a couple of things. One, because you need a lot of size to be able to do that. And two, you need a lot of durability and endurance. And that's something that he has. And as you put it nicely, I think last week or two weeks ago, he does all this and he he, he works extremely hard to keep his body in shape to do it. And he still says all the right things. Yeah, and he's, he's not incredible. arrogant. He's a team player, class act. I love this guy. I love him too, Zach. I love him a lot. <laughs> okay. I still can't get his jersey on the NFL shop because it comes into stock for 14 seconds at a time with several weeks in between those 14-second windows. How's it's that possible? I got one for my dad like last year. Is it, is it now? Is it now more popular than it was last year? <laughs> last year. <laughs> Well, you just right knew when he, he got, was coming. Right when he got drafted, it was, okay. I got it for my dad in May. Oh, that's I, that's a good present, Zach. Yeah, um, I think it was May. Well, was it, yeah, is it, is it possible that it was May? When did he get? Yeah, drafted? sure. It was either, yeah, it okay, been May. Okay, it was May. It was either May or it was the month that Father's Day is. That's June. June. It was either May or June. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of them. It was one of those two. Uh, yeah, my problem remains that I I strongly prefer the what is now called the Nike Limited Edition jersey. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's they they do it's like you know they sew on the number. I it's probably not even sewn on, but they make it look like it's sewn on as opposed to the like laser print thing. Yeah. Um. So I basically just buy fewer jerseys because I like the the te- this is so boring. <laughs> anyway <Blue's> football it's, <laughs> wardrobe <laughs> it's harder to get your hands on the limited ones because i guess it's harder for them to manufacture something it costs a little bit more but like not a ton so uh they only make them for a, a they make them for a smaller number of players and they come in and out of stock with seeming complete arbitrary logic so um that's that's my struggle i will say right now pertinent to this and odell because this is the season finale, I did this for last season's finale, and because he's a great man among men who may not be great. I'm currently wearing my Odell Beckham jersey. And I feel like it's giving me strength, Zach. Maybe I should try that. You wear it to work and stuff? I should wear mine to work. <laughs> <laughs> I should try wearing it to work. I'm, I, I work in, an, in a place where I'm fairly certain that more than 50% of people would not even know what sport it referenced. But um, <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be interesting. All right. So are we are we good to move on to – do you want to talk about the sixth overall pick? What do we want to talk about now? Why don't we talk a little bit more about the season that was? Obviously, we'll, we'll talk more too. about this in the weeks to come, but – some hot takes, some snap reactions. It's been an interesting year 
I think you and I both thought the Giants would be better than this. I think most of the developed world thought that they would be better <laughs> than this, and the developing world doesn't know who the Giants are. That said, there were some interesting signs of progress at the end. Had the Giants won the last two games that, that they barely lost, they would have been just one game below five hundred. They would not have made the playoffs, but nonetheless, had Odell not gotten hurt, is this season different? I don't know, but it gives them a better chance to win the last two games, obviously. So I, I think, let's say this, the season before the bye week, exactly halfway through, was so bad. And the offensive line, especially, was so bad that I thought, uh, we talked about it on the pod, this team had a legitimate chance to get the number one pick and was thwarted only because Buffalo, Arizona, and at that time, particularly Oakland, were so atrociously horrible at football. That said, after the bye week, according to them, the Giants went, what, four and, well, four and four. <laughs> um, doesn't sound so great when I put it that way. But <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best according to them record they ever got to? Two and one? Well, I think they got two and oh at one point. Did they really? Didn't they win the first two after the bye or did they lose the second oh, one? Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna look this up. I think you're right, but I need to verify. Again, this is all according to them. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's all according to them, but if you think about it, the according to them record is the most important record. And while they're at it, why don't they just say who won in the spirit <laughs> and say they went 16 and 0? Yeah, it's, yeah, according to them, they're 16 and 0. According to them, they're 19 and 0. <laughs> 19? Yeah, they added some games and they won those they two. Added three of the preseason games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're not even preseason. They're just hypothetical. They're just imaginary games. They're imaginary games, indeed. Okay, so, week, so the Giants played the first eight weeks, they had week nine off. Then they come back in week 10. Week 10 is that week when they played the Niners in lower Silicon Valley when um, it was a burning hellscape, and they won by four. So they're 1-0 according to them. Week 11, the Giants come back home. They beat the Bucks by three. Okay, so now they're 2-0 according to them. You're right. Right. Week 12 with... 3-0, and according to them, on the line. They lose, ironically, by three at Philadelphia. So, that is ironic. 2-0 yeah, was the best, according to them, record they had. Well, according to them, good job. Rosenhaus, if you will. It was a Rosenhaus season. Yeah, a Rosenhaus in the context of according to them. We, we are rapidly going to create an indecipherable language, Zach. We're getting there. It's close. <laughs> we have about 12 slogans right now. The dictionary is like 10 billion words, so we, we're, we're close. I just like that we're, we're pushing the bounds of grammar, you know? It's yeah. all coherent, but you just have to have a lot of context for it to even make sense grammatically. Oh, definitely. We're using a last <laughs> name as an actual feeling. <laughs> And an a verb aura. sometimes, yeah. Yeah, an aura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my standard takeaway from the season is 
I think they've they've I'll I'll give them this. They improved the line dramatically. On I think both yes. sides of the ball. On both sides of the ball. Had they had the line they have now at the beginning of the season, I think they could maybe have three more wins, possibly. It's a big statement, but some of these games were actually very close and you you, you give them a better line, maybe they win it. I think Eli is I, I mean we say this every year, like I'm really 50-50 on him right now. And I think that's not a bad feeling to be about him because I feel like he either plays very well or he plays very badly. He's not a consistent quarterback anymore. I don't know if he ever was, honestly. But at this point, as, as long as we're not looking at the past, he's not consistent right now. That being said, there are plenty of quarterbacks that are consistently bad. So... I think you have to consider starting Eli again next season. You can't just write him off right now, hoping he doesn't write himself off right now. Uh, Our kicking game is the best it's been in years. And our defense, I think, can just use general work all around, but it's not the worst defense by any means in the league. That's kind of where I'm at. That is much more bullish than I was expecting from you. I, I honestly didn't hate the way they ended the season, according to Zach. <laughs> Not just according to them. <laughs> I, I would have liked to, to have seen them win the last couple games you know, just to be happy about it. But the reality is they got a better draft pick. And Odell Beckham, who is probably one of the best players at any position in the league, didn't play. He frankly didn't play, I think, the, like six of the last eight weeks. So... I don't, or maybe it's five, but I don't think that's that's not so bad, right? You 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 take your best player out of the game, and you still barely lose a bunch of these games. Like they they clearly are a different team now than they were at the beginning of the season, in my opinion. I still think they're not performing very well, but they're definitely playing better than they were playing in weeks one through eight. Oh, agreed, one hundred percent. So I so I I am a little excited to see what they're going to do next year. But I think that is, they need to have, I think this is the right word, an impeccable off season. I agree. I'm, I'm still just recovering from hearing you be so high. On Eli. Positive. Oh, I'm not <laughs> high. On I, said, I used the word inconsistent. Well, that's an upgrade. Yeah, it's not great. I well here's should we should we just dive full speed into the Eli talk? Secondary Eli talk? I have no problem with it. Alright. I think we gotta do it. And we also have to talk about the debate that you had with your family about this yes. very topic. Yes. Here's my thing with Eli. So the Giants have the sixth pick in the draft. This is a pretty bad year for quarterbacks, or at least looks like it's going to be coming out of college. Justin Herbert, who spent the majority of the year as the kind of consensus number one quarterback prospect, decided to go back to Oregon. His star had faded a little bit anyway over the course of the year. Dwayne Haskins, on the other hand, had a great year for Ohio State. He capped it off very productively, especially that Michigan game where he just looked like an absolute world beater. He looks like he's going to be the first quarterback off the board. It doesn't look like there's serious competition for that. And to the extent that there is, it's unclear exactly who it would be. 
Okay. I'm not thrilled with that. And if the Giants continue to be bad in 2020, Tua from Alabama is going to come out and should be a much better quarterback prospect than anyone available this year. Okay. So I was getting a little down on the opportunity for the Giants to add someone this year, a quarterback who even could kind of sit the year out, learn under Eli, kind of exist in that Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre model, which nowadays is extremely rare, but could potentially work for the Giants, would allow them to kind of basically tank without saying that they're tanking. Eli could have one more year to finish out his contract and essentially have, you know, a goodbye tour around the league or, you know, a portion of it. Then I thought, Zach, I have forgotten one major variable. And that variable is the best quarterback on the Philadelphia Eagles, who nonetheless is not the long-term future of the Philadelphia Eagles. And his name is Nick Foles. Nick Foles, who is going to be a free agent and could very well sign with the Giants. Can I interrupt you right there? Yeah, please. I have a lot of friends who are Philadelphia Eagles fans. I think that Nick Foles is going to be the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles next season. Really? I I think he's so much better than Carson Wentz on so many levels of the game. I agree. How do you agree? You think the Giants are going to get him? Or you think that you just you just think Philly won't do that? They're not bold enough. I think Philly's been really, really strong on Carson Wentz is the future. Carson Wentz is the starting quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And they could backtrack on that. But one, I don't know why they would be so publicly vocal about it if they had even the faintest um, idea that they might have to backtrack. Two, I just think the inertia of having picked Carson Wentz so high makes it really and and given up so much to get to that slot in the first place to pick Carson Wentz that letting him be the backup or trading him or whatever they would have to do to let Nick Foles be the full-time designated starter over Carson Wentz and remember Nick Foles was not exactly a hot commodity when, when Philly picked him up he's bounced around quite a bit would look so bad for the leadership of the club that I just can't see it happening. But I will say, I think they should. I I agree with you. I think Nick Foles is clearly better. Now he's older, so that doesn't help. But I think he gives them a better chance to win. And we saw it this year even. He has been really good. I I think he's clearly the, the player who, for at least a few years, gives them a better chance to get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I actually think that's actually exactly the right, the right way to put it. They should do it, but they're not going to. And if I was in the leadership role of having to make that decision, it would be tough to explain that to the fans. Yeah. They're in a tough spot either way. Unless Nick Foles loves being the backup, in which case they're in an amazing spot. Well, still no, because they probably still want to win the Super Bowl. But um, Yeah, I don't know. I guess they're in a good spot if Carson Wentz wants to be the backup on the Eagles. Nick Foles wants to be the starter on the Eagles, and the fans want that as well. But that's rarely the case. It's it's tough, so I'm just 
looking at the the books for Foles and Philly. So in his contract, there is a, a mutual option between player and club for next year that if they both opt in, would pay Foles $20 million. That, according to my calculations, is high. Uh, and by which I don't mean he's not worth it, but it's a big it's a big number in the NFL world. If they accept the option, they'd have to trade him very quickly for a whole bunch of salary cap problems not to happen on their books. And he can still decline the option, so it's probably in his best interest to decline it, and this all becomes irrelevant, then he becomes a free agent. Or they put the franchise tag on, they pay him around $25 million, and then they, uh, you know, make the problem worse. They're paying their backup quarterback, supposedly, $25 million, which is clearly insane. I don't know, man. I think he's going to be available. Well, I would take Nicholas Foles in two (laughs) seconds. Do you think the Giants will? No. I agree. I don't think they will. Do you think that the Giants will trade for Kirk Cousins? No. (laughs) No. To be clear, I don't think that's going to happen. At the article I'm reading, there's a little thumbnail on the side of Kirk Cousins, and I thought I should throw it out there. Yeah, that that sounds outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what. As, as strange as the Giants' situation is, and as long as it might take to turn things around sustainably, thank goodness the Giants didn't pay Kirk Cousins all the money in the bag. Holy moly, Minnesota's in a real pickle. Yeah, but not as bad as uh, Oakland's pickle. Oakland has a serious machismo pickle. Yeah, they have a coaching pickle. <laughs> a sour pickle. It is a very sour, <laughs> weirdly haired pickle. Yes. Uh, should we get into the debate now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us about the Perry family debate. So, I don't want to harp too much on this because it's it's off topic, but. I had a recent family vacation to Iceland. Very fun time, awesome time. And we were in the car driving from one site to another site, and I overhear through my headphones my brother talking to my dad about somebody on the Saints was asked if um, Ben Roethlisberger, or maybe it was the Steelers. I forget what team it was. I think it was the Saints. One of the cornerbacks who was not Eli Apple was asked, maybe it was Eli Apple, doesn't matter, was asked if they think that Ben Roethlisberger uh, will make the Hall of Fame, to which the receipt, or the cornerback responded, uh, I would put Eli there first. <laughs> so yeah. that was actually the same, same sound I made when I heard that. And I said, let me make sure I got that right. I heard it. And then my brother and dad, who are both people that defend Eli Manning with everything they have, uh, thought I was crazy for laughing at that. So it ended up being a very heated discussion, one of the more heated discussions I've been a part of. Um, still all in good football spirit, but it was definitely a lot of passion coming out of both sides of the car. Both sides oh, of the I imagine. Yeah. It was very intense, yes. Uh, and I, so I started using statistics 
because I luckily oh, was. Oh no! I had a weapon in my hand, which was my phone, to be able to actually look this stuff up. My, my, my siblings, sorry, my sibling and my dad did not. So I had Zach, a little can I just there. Add a, can I interrupt you to add a little bit of color for the ones? Of course. Can you please tell the ones what you, your brother, and your father all do for a profession? Oh, we are all in well in some capacity accountants. Perfect. Uh, so I'm good at analyzing numbers. We all are good at analyzing numbers. That's what we do. Now, I was the only one that had access to the numbers at the time. But my brother then, after I kept probably obnoxiously um, berating him with a lot of numbers, <laughs> uh, said that it wasn't just a numbers thing because he probably agreed that Ben Roethlisberger is statistically better than Eli. But – he said, overall, with the weapons he had, the things that are on the team, he'd still rather have Eli. And Eli's more clutch, apparently. So I want to use this opportunity <laughs> to explain how <laughs> ridiculous it is to even possibly consider the fact that Eli Manning is possibly less of a candidate for the Hall of Fame than Ben Roethlisberger. I might have messed up the less of the more there, but point is Ben Roethlisberger should be so clearly in the Hall of Fame over Eli Manning. <laughs> it's like you should be more confident about that than you are that B comes after A in the alphabet. <laughs> okay. So let me just start out with the, I understand that my brother conceded on the stat line, but I want people to understand really how much the stats are actually uh, very close. And Willis, I have, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit here, so I apologize. If you want to jump in anytime, though, please. No, no, please. please no, I want you to dive in. I want you to be aggressive too on this. So Ben Ro- – I'll just like QB rating, right? Like your typical just QBR. So Ben Roethlisberger is a 94.2 in his overall career. Eli Manning is an 84.1. Now QB rating factors in mostly everything. So right there you can already see that is basically an 8-point increase, 8 percentage increase. Not percentage, eight-point increase from Eli to Ben. So right there, you're already going to have a pretty good idea that Ben's better in most of these things. If we want to just look at um, yards, Ben Roethlisberger has thrown 56,000. Eli Manning has thrown 55.9. So they're roughly the same in yards, okay? Touchdowns, Ben has thrown 363. Eli has thrown 360. So that's pretty much the same. My favorite stat of them all, interceptions. Ben Roethlisberger has thrown 190. Eli has thrown 239. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of interceptions. Um, then my dad brought up a good point. And he said, well, it started out as a good point. And he said, yes, but wouldn't you make the argument that the Giants' offensive line for most of Eli's career was worse than Ben Roethlisberger's? I said, it's an interesting point. I'm not that knowledgeable on the Steelers' offensive line, to which he intelligently said, but couldn't you see a stat on how many times they've been sacked? Ah, that's a good idea. So Ben Roethlisberger has been sacked 501 times. Eli has been sacked 406 times. Oh. That's almost 100 sacks. So he was wrong on that, but he did give me the idea to research it. So thank you, Dad. Uh, Percentage completion, 
Ben Roethlisberger is 64.4%. Eli Manning is 60.3%. That's, a, that's not nothing. That's 4%, right? So that's most of those stats. But then, then I wanted to go even more. And I looked at some really depressing information, which is how many like, – like these are all great to look at the stats and everything. We covered that now. But what about wins? And it started getting me thinking that while Eli has been the starting quarterback of the New York Giants, do you know how many times the Giants have won the NFC East? While he's been the quarterback. While which Since 2004 – how many times have the Giants won the NFC East? It's really sad when you. Yeah, when you no, win. I mean, is I'm I'm so bad with remembering these sorts of things. I I'm gonna say like twice. It is three times. Okay. Two thousand five. Two thousand eight. Two thousand eleven. That's it. Three times. Three times. Of those three times, they were nine and seven. Sucks. <laughs> Twelve and four. It was a good year. That's a good year. That was the year after Super Bowl year. And 11 and five. Pretty good year. That's fair. That's what Eli's winning three times in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen seasons. He won that division three times. Now obviously we gotta compare that to Ben Roethlisberger. I believe it's something in the neighborhood of eight times, but let me just uh check this out real quick. Sorry for the delay here, everybody. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. Sorry, excuse me, it's seven, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's seven times. So he's won the division seven times compared to Eli's three. They were in the same draft class. Every one of those, they have at least 12 wins. So you want to talk about winningest, you got Rosberg there. Two more things, and I'll shut up. Super Bowls, they are even on Super Bowls. Eli's got two. Rosberg's got two. My dad then said something that was very, very disturbing because it bothered me a lot. (laughs) He said that Eli Manning is more clutch than Ben Roethlisberger. This could not be more inaccurate. There actually is most comeback wins by quarterbacks or, or fourth quarter comebacks by by a quarterback. And actually, it was actually shown on the screen during the Colts game, which was the night of the argument by coincidence. I looked up in the car that day. So I was ahead of the game. No pun intended. But it's a stat they do, they do uh, have. So I'm trying to find the stat for you right now. Yeah. NFL fourth quarter comeback leaders since Ooh. 1960. Flashy. They showed this during that game, during the Colts game that night of the argument. Number one is Peyton Manning 
I would normally at quiz you on this, Willis, but unfortunately, we're like we're, I'm talking a lot, so I want to just roll through it. No, I like it. I like it. Two is Tom Brady. So the goat and the second goat are one and two. <laughs> <laughs> Number three is Drew Brees. Uh, tied for three is Unitas. This is with 34. Peyton, sorry, Peyton Manning's 43. Brady is 35. Brees and Unitas are 34. Marino is 33. Elway is 31. Tied with Ben Roethlisberger. The next few are Fran Tarkenton, Vinny Testaverde, and Brett Favre. Eli is number 11 with 27. So I'll repeat that. Roethlisberger's 31, Eli's 27. So Roethlisberger actually has four more fourth quarter comebacks than Eli Manning does. I can't think of one single argument (laughs) other than maybe better with the media. (laughs) That Ben Roethlisberger deserves to not be in the Hall of Fame before Eli Manning. Do you have anything to add, Wills? No, I do not disagree with you. I don't. I think you're right, Zach. You don't have to. I'd love to argue this about with with somebody because no, I mean I couldn't believe here's it. the best the best case that I think one might have for Eli over Ben is that Ben Roethlisberger is a horrible human being. And Eli just doesn't seem to be horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I was alluding to that with the better with the media, but no, you're right. Like there was the whole like sexual assault case from like 10 years ago. Uh, Totally agreed. And and even without that, like Roethlisberger is a little bit cockier with the media and and just not as as, as much of a fan-friendly guy. But I don't – I guess that does play into the Hall of Fame a little bit. But we were more just getting at who do you want on your team like to win games for you. I mean, my answer is Andrew Luck, but if I had to pick between these two. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think Ben Roethlisberger is a reprehensible person. If this were Madden or something and I didn't have to think about, <laughs> you know, employing this human being, then yes, the answer is Ben Roethlisberger. I agree. Okay. Um, In terms of throwing a football. To, <laughs> to somebody else that can catch it. Yes. In terms All of just pure design. physical performance is yes. Ben Roethlisberger. Awesome. Ben, ben Roethlisberger is also, and and I don't, I guess this kind of could reasonably count for the Hall of Fame because it, it tells you something about how the game is played and to the extent that the Hall of Fame kind of documents the evolution of the sport and how it was played at various times and its history and et cetera, et cetera. Ben Roethlisberger is just a much more special player than Eli. I mean, Eli, at his best, was a really good quarterback, but essentially, like, a Madden-created character who was just a sort of, like, smaller, less talented version of his older brother. Um, made good reads, you know, was accurate, but not exceptional, really, on any dimension. Just quite good on several of them. Um, ben is just, in and of himself, a type uh, category of quarterback. I, I don't think there's a good comp for him. Do you, do you know of one? Say the very last thing you just said again. Just, just who you could reasonably compare to Ben Roethlisberger as a sort of style of quarterback. He reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, like just the, like the yeah. vertical offense run out of the pocket, kind of big playability. But I agree with that, but but Roethlisberger is so much more of just a, like, ogre man who <laughs> cannot be taken to the ground. 
Yes. I'll agree with that. Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is a little more tactical, precise. You know, he, like, knows when to go down. Ben can get hit in the head 14 times on one play and just stay up and make a throw. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't even like Ben Roethlisberger. I, I just couldn't believe that I was being told that he was less deserving than Eli Manning of a spot in the Hall of Fame. Oh, I'm, I'm 100% with you, and I'm not saying that for, for the sake of making bad podcast. I... I will say this. I think they're both making it for sure. They are from the same draft, obviously. This is interesting. As you were as you were breaking this down, pro football reference, one of my favorites. I mean, I love sports reference for all of the sports, but for this podcast, obviously football. They have um, a feature called similar players. And so it takes all of the stats that they have for each player and uses this algorithm to come up with, um, you know, if you're going to take the name off this person, who it most closely resembles. It's funny. I'm can, looking at the same thing right now. And Eli oh, Manning really? is number one in his career. And Eli Manning yeah. is number one. And it's funny, too, because so so uh, obviously, you know this, Zach. But for those of you who are listening, I mean, you can you can do this. You you go on any player page on profootballreference.com pro and you scroll down. It's basically at the very bottom or just above the very bottom. You can see after three years the season-by-season similarity scores. So you can see, well, this guy was kind of like on track to be the GOAT until, you know, year five or whatever. This is a hypothetical player. So, you know, through year three, you know, it's not very impressive for Roethlisberger. He looks like Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Ryan Tannehill. That's an insult. Um, Although some good players in there, Jim Plunkett, Fran Tarkenton. And then you kind of go through the next few years, and the comps basically stay the same. They basically stay the same. Year eight, you see John John Elway, or I guess he appears a little bit earlier, but John Elway starts looking more and more similar to Ben Roethlisberger. And then you keep going, and Elway kind of drops off a little bit, and he looks more like Jim Kelly. Then John Elway comes back. But by year 13, Zach, Eli Manning has emerged as the... (laughs) the runaway cop, year 13, year 14, year 15, and full career. Eli Manning is the most similar player to have ever played professional football. It's Ben Roethlisberger. That's pretty amazing. Now, I will say this. I Not having, you know, dove into their methodology, I suspect a lot of that comes from these guys have played very similar contextual careers. You know, they're from the same draft. They've played the same number of years, obviously. And because those two things are true. They've played in the same era with the kind of same offenses and same defenses, roughly. Um, uh, So I assume that's a big part of it. You know, it's easier to look like Eli Manning if you play in the exact same years as Eli Manning than it is to look like Fran Darkenton, for example, or, you know, the aforementioned Johnny Unitas. But nonetheless, interesting. If you go back, though, Eli Manning... I mean, obviously, when you look at his similar players, you see Ben Roethlisberger a lot. But the number one comp for him in the last few years and then the total career is Terry Bradshaw. Very interesting. I mean, I don't love that, though, because, like, the time periods are just so different. You know what I mean? Like, when Bradshaw played versus now. But I guess I'm not an expert, and they are, so. I mean, what's interesting here is, you know, if you look at the similar players, so Eli's career in order, he looks most like Terry Bradshaw, 
Ben Roethlisberger, John Hadle. I don't even know who that is. Do you know who that is? No, never heard of him. This man really predates us, man. Uh, is born in 1940. Okay, we'll look into him later. Um, Donovan McNabb, Bob Greasy, interesting. Drew Bledsoe, Jim Kelly, Warren Moon, Carson Palmer, and Joe Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana's a pretty good, nice compliment there. Definitely. But, you know, on this list, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten players. Terry Bradshaw is a Hall of Famer. Bob Greasy is a Hall of Famer. Jim Kelly is a Hall of Famer. Warren Moon is a Hall of Famer. Joe Montana is a Hall of Famer. That's five out of ten. Ben Roethlisberger will be a Hall of Famer, six out of ten. And you think Carson Palmer will be a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. With no Super Bowl wins, I don't think so. Yeah, that's going to hurt him. Nonetheless. He's just like, he's not that good. Like, I don't know. Like, like Marino, I think, made it right, but with no, with no Super Bowl wins. But, like, I don't know. Carson Palmer, man, like, he's had so many bad seasons. I don't he's an so. interesting player. He also was in bad situations for so much of his career. Yeah. It's sad, but who knows? This this is a great site. This is a great site. Um, Carson Palmer, over the course of his career, was only slightly less valuable than Eli. And uh, to your point, Ben Roethlisberger is the 36th most valuable player since 1960 in all of NFL. Um, that's again from pro football reference, the career average value metric. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think however you count it to your point, I think Roethlisberger is just clearly a better player. I win guys. (laughs) I win. All right, Zach. What else can we talk about here? Well, let's let's do this. What is one non-obvious takeaway that you are taking away from the 2018 season of the New York Football Giants? Hold on. What a non-obvious takeaway? Yeah, cuz if like the takeaway could be um Pat Shermer's not as good as we thought he would be and Eli's old. Like, okay, that's not I mean, it's clearly true, but obvious. Oh, man, that is a tough question, dude. Can you do yours first? I can try to see like a model of what one would be. Yeah, sure. My non-obvious takeaway is... I think the final few rounds of player acquisition and development under the Reese McAdoo era was much better than we thought. I say this because there were a few players this year who looked really good and probably better than they had any business looking. As I mentioned before, Sterling Shepard looks great. Yes. He seems completely capable of being 
a, a very high level number one receiver. Aldrich Rosas looks great. Now, if you told me a year ago that Aldrich Rosas was going to be one of the best kickers in the league and a pro bowler, I think I would have spontaneously died. But here we are, and it's true, and I'm happy for him. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to degrade him. I, I like Aldrich Rosas, but, I mean, how many times last year were we frustrated with him? A million. A mi- <laughs> I still think Wayne Gallman has a chance to be a valuable contributor. Now, as we've mentioned before, you know, Saquon being ahead of him is complicating that picture, but I think he'll probably end up on another team and look pretty good. I think across the roster, there are a lot of valuable players, you know, that were acquired for either little money or fairly low in the draft. And that was largely obscured by how horrible the offensive line was. And we can't tiptoe around that because I think this team would actually be pretty good if the Reese McAdoo era had been good at acquiring, drafting, and developing offensive linemen. But, you know, no more needs to be said about how how poorly they did that aspect of the job. Overall, though, I think they did a pretty good job, especially at the skill positions. And that was not obvious to me either last year or the beginning of this year, or even a few weeks ago, frankly. So now I'm up and I have to find something. That's, that, that's a, do you think about that one? That's a good one. Um, I mean, I, I kind of said it earlier, like the offense, how about this? I'll, I'm going to, Go with a similar thing to you, but a little more high level. It's just it's just true, and I can't get around saying it. A lot of the the positions that we thought were really weak at the beginning of the season are actually much better than we thought they were. Hmm. Most notably, offensive line and kicker. Yeah. That's all I have to say, really, though. Well, is that, is that decent or is that not no, no, good? no? That's good. I want to hear more about the offensive line, though. What you think about it? Because you were obviously hugely bearish on it early in the year, so you know there were adjustments made clearly. But what's what's your thinking now? I just, I mean, this is going to sound kind of wishy washy, but I just watched them playing. You don't see Eli hurried as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some big games in the second half of the season. I think it's undeniable their second half of the season was better than their first half of the season in record and in uh, just everything offensively, really. Um, Saquon is amazing, but you know, you got to attribute some of that to the offensive line, right? Yeah, but you, not to take anything away from him. I mean, no, he's I like when you I like when we argue on this a show. Freak of nature. He he is he is no no question about it, but. Uh, I, I just think there's something to be said. These guys are coming with their. I, I mean, I think once they got rid of Patrick Omami and Eric and Eric Flowers or Rec Flowers, <laughs> they started. Uh, I said that way too professionally, like it was actually his nickname. Yeah, it was very professional. I liked it. Yeah, it was like or Rec Flowers, as some of you may know. Him. It's beautiful. <laughs> but they just seemed like a different unit. They did not seem like the worst offensive line in football. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that that's that's my uh, whatever you call it my 
non-something takeaway, non-obvious takeaway. Do we want to do obvious takeaways as well? Obvious takeaways? Oh, man. Saquon's amazing. (laughs) That's a good one. It's undeniably true. I have an obvious takeaway, although it's someone I haven't thought about in quite a while. Signing Jonathan Stewart as a free agent? Bad idea. <laughs> Horrendous idea. <laughs> Horrendous. Oh, my God. We, we said this as soon as it happened, but it was really a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. I mean, like the Jets signed LaDainian Tomlinson late in his career. <laughs> And that didn't really work out so well. <laughs> it's just running back's not a durable. Like if, if you're picking up a running back, like the, it, like I guess you could make the argument that Adrian Peterson was like a great pickup, but in general, running backs are not very durable. So if you're picking one up that's been like released or traded out of like a he's too old kind of mentality, I think in general, you know, it's not going to work out. Oh, completely with you. So, yeah, Jonathan Stewart, just to, for the record here, Jonathan Stewart's 31 years old. He's a 31-year-old running back. And while it makes him a young man in the sense of being a human in America in 2019, that is very old for a running back. But Gettleman loves him, so hey, here we are. Gettleman's Jonathan, Carolina guy. He certainly is. He played in three games this year. He rushed six times for 17 yards. Now, he had problems with injuries, but that's part of signing a 31-year-old running back is that he almost certainly will have some kind of injury thing, and it's a question of how severe it'll be. In this case, it kept him from playing and and contributing meaningfully at all. Last year, you know, he was relatively productive, 680 yards on the ground. Uh, just man, it was such a. It's just a horrible idea, Zach. And lest we forget, he is currently making several million dollars a year from the New York Giants. That's really the part that hurts. If he was on some veteran minimum or something, um, I still think it would be kind of bizarre. But uh, whatever, it's a flyer. You see what happens. The fact that he got one multiple years on a contract, now it's the NFL, so, you know, a multiple-year contract doesn't mean a whole lot, but uh, nonetheless, he's on a two-year deal. And I know we've talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate, his base salary this year was $3.4 million. So, yeah, that's where we are. You're saying that, and that's a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, for a guy who rushes six times in a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't saying it was a, a great deal. Sorry, you're saying it's not a lot of money? No, I'm no. we're on the same page. It is a lot of money for what he offers. Okay, okay. Just making sure. Um. So what are we rolling into now? So why don't we take a quick look at the weekend's games. Wild card weekend. Two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Saturday is Colts at Texans, keeping it in the division there. And then the Seahawks at Cowboys. And on Sunday, 
Chargers at Ravens, and Eagles at Bears. Anything catch your eye there, Zach? No, I'm picking also my picks. I'm picking Texans. No, I'm picking Colts. I'm picking Colts. I'm picking Cowboys. I'm picking Ravens. And I'm picking Eagles. All right, I'm going to go with... This is not against the spread for the ones. Colts, Seahawks, Chargers, Bears. Ooh, we're only together on one game. Yep. I do like the Colts, though. I'm not sure the Texans are that good. I think the Colts are better. The Giants beat the Texans. The (laughs) Giants beat the Texans. It's true. The Colts are just, they're like, not to use Mugatu's word, but they are very hot right now. (laughs) That was a good reference. It was a very good reference. An elite elite reference. The Colts are so hot right now. Um, The Colts are hot right now. The boys are hot right now. I'll give you, the, the Chargers are hot right now. But I still, I still like the Ravens in that game. I just think it's going to be an upset. And the Eagles are pretty hot right now. Yeah, I mean, the Chargers are one of these teams that, that snuck up on me, partially because they're a team that everyone thinks is going to be good before every single season starts. And then they end up being, you know, not good. Various shades of not good. But this year they have been good. Football Outsiders has them as the third best team in the league, only behind, predictably, the Chiefs and the Rams, uh, above New Orleans and obviously above everyone else. I, I'm worried about the Colts. They have to go on the road. I don't know how much Houston is a huge home field advantage. Not to say it's bad, but I, I just not that familiar with it. I don't think it's like playing in Green Bay, for instance. And obviously those teams know each other well. I think that kind of increases the likelihood of it being a 50-50 toss-up. But, yeah, I mean, the Colts are peaking at the right time. Andrew Luck is really good. And Houston kind of faded down the stretch. So I think the Colts will win there, and, and I also just personally hope that they do. I think Seattle's interesting. I think their peak is really high, probably significantly higher than the Cowboys. And I just don't trust that the Cowboys are actually all that good. I know I know they're well, I mean, look, they barely beat the Giants. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all I need did. to say. I just like Zeke against the Seahawks D. Yeah. You're not wrong. It's going to be a close. I think it'll be a close game. I think there's going to be a great playoffs. I think all four of these games are going to be are going to be close games. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Would you like to hear something that's going to blow your mind, Zach? Who wouldn't want to hear that? (laughs) As we know, the Giants finished at five and eleven. They are not going to the playoffs, and they were not particularly close. There was one second where we kind of pretended that they had a chance, but that was it. They finished the year last in the division. Dallas went ten and six, Philly nine and seven, the Washington team seven and nine. All that said, Zach, football outsiders and their analytics of who the best teams in the league are have the Giants 
as the 15th best team in the NFL, which is, and this is the part that I think will blow your mind, six spots above the Cowboys. I'm confused. How are we the 15th best team in the NFL? Um, it's a fair question. It's not done by record. It's done by like their qualitative. It's no, it's, it's quantitative. It's all the like underlying metrics. So like how efficient the offense is, how efficient the defense is, the strength of schedule, things like that. Okay. 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 But not just record. It's love. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they basically take record. I think, I think record comes out completely. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I, I I could dive into this again, but I think it's kind of like you could infer it from the underlying numbers. Um, but like the fact that you won five discrete games and lost 11 is, I think, irrelevant. All right. So, yeah, I mean, this just lends credence to my theory that Dallas isn't that good and just kind of they got some good breaks. Again, they barely beat the Giants. What more need be said? Um. I don't think they're bad. I think it's probably underweighting them to say they're the 21st best team in the league because, you know, according to that, they're worse than the Titans. They're worse than the Packers. They're worse than the Falcons. I mean, this seems like a bit of a stretch, but, um, you know, here we are. I, I think Philly, people are are getting excited about Philly again now. I don't think Philly's that good. Do you think Philly's good? No, I don't, but I also don't think that. I think the Bears, if the Bears don't have Tariq Cohen, they're like not even winning that. Like, they're not even close to doing that well in that division. And yeah, I, I think the Eagles are actually going to beat them, but I think the Eagles are going to get clobbered. And I mean, clobbered by New Orleans. Because the winner of that game, I think, or I don't even know if it's the winner of that game. I, I know that if Philly wins that game, they play New Orleans next week. So, I don't Oh, think is that have, right? Okay. Yeah, I don't think they have a prayer of winning that game. But. I think they will beat the Bears. I mean, look, the Giants almost beat the Bears. They did beat the Bears. Uh, they did. Although the Bears were not playing Trubisky. True, true. I think it would be it would be another – it's going to be a close one. But I think it, the whole thing comes down to how good Tariq Cohen plays. Yeah, so I'm looking – Trubisky too. I'm looking at the scenario here. So – they, man, it's been a while since I looked at this. They reseed after the first round, right? Yep. Okay. So if Philly wins, yeah, they would go to New Orleans and play the number one Saints. And uh, no matter what, if Chicago wins, they will play the Rams no matter what. That's right. And then that leaves. um, Yeah, Philly wins and the Seahawks win. Then the Seahawks go to the Rams. Philly wins. Again, it doesn't matter, right? Okay. So that's the NFC for you. This is kind of underwhelming, honestly. I like the Rams and I like the Saints. The rest of the teams are just. I'm not impressed, Zach. I I will be going to the Rams' first game after the bye, though. Wait, the playoff game? Yeah. That's awesome. So now... You're going to L.A. for it? I'm going to L.A. for it. How'd you get those tickets? That's awesome. Got a phone hook you up? I am going with my uncle, who 
lives in Los Angeles. I thought it was going to be the winner of the Bears versus the Eagles, but no, it's it's the Bears or the Seahawks or Cowboys. Um, yeah, I think I'd most, I think the Seahawks would be the most fun. Okay, regardless. Um, all right, Zach. Anything else we should cover this week? I think that's 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 a. I mean, it's, it's not a very climactic wrap up for the season, but I think that's our season finale right there. I think we just. I think that's so. a, it was a great episode. I think covered a lot of bases. Didn't talk about the games in the sixteen and seventeen too much, but instead covered interesting topics. I couldn't agree more, Zach. I will say I do not think it is a toe episode quality, but that's a very high bar, and I don't even think it's fair. No. The toe I mean, episode will live yeah. in infamy. It rivals It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. It is. <laughs> as, as classic Christmas films go, you have It's a Wonderful Life and the toe episode of An Inconvenient Life. Which is not even a film. That's how good it is. It's transcendent. It's, yeah. Like a, like a 1960s radio show would have played this. <laughs> it would be very confusing. What's NFL.com? <laughs> what is .com? What is this? Who is John Gruden? <laughs> <laughs> Who is every human being referenced in this show? Johnny Unitas, they'd get that part. Yeah, that was the one instance. It's good to know that if this show existed almost 60 years ago, we'd be covered. All right, Zach. On that note, I have a lot of editing to do on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) A lot needs to be removed before it can be shown to the public. So let's go to credits. Please leave us a review on iTunes and please make it five stars. We are aware that iTunes has not updated our logo. I am having trouble getting to the bottom of why. Nonetheless, please leave (laughs) us a review. (laughs) Our email address is hello at inconvenientbluth.com. On Twitter, we are at I-C-B-L-U-E-T-H. On Facebook and Instagram, we are inconvenientbluth. No punctuation, no spaces, nothing like that. And I am booting the Instagram back up again because I drank an Odell IPA yesterday. I sent it to Zach, but I want to share it with all of you. We have 20 followers. Most of them are bots. But the rest of you will really get something special, namely a poorly taken photograph from my cell phone. Sorry for the beeps. It's good. It adds some drama. It's Ethan Rothstein. <laughs> <laughs> good to know. <laughs> our, our introductory theme music is composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more of his music at incompatech.com. Our theme starts with his piece, The Curtain Rises and Quickly Fades into Take a Chance. Both are licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. For more on that, all the details on the license, and more about the pieces themselves, you can find the info on our site, inconvenientbluth.com slash credits. Zach, the ones really come for one thing, and that is what you are about to do. Many of the ones are still listening, and even those that are not listening. We wish you all an inconvenient bluth, and we hope to see you next season. And be on the lookout. We may have an episode before next season. 
Oh, we will, Zach. We will. We, we definitely will. Draft time, for sure. Even before that. Or next week. Or next week. <laughs> or tomorrow. Who knows? We, we record a lot. We wish you an inconvenient bluth. Good night. <laughs>